Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The 8th annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the 5th annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at TracyHotchnerPets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but Waruva remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. What a delight to have Mark Beckoff back on the show. And rather than talking about many of the topics we've discussed together about dogs and their behavior, since he's an ethologist and understands them better than anyone, and rather than talking about timely topics about dogs, we get to talk about his newest book, the, the most recent in a long string of pretty brilliant books. And this one, I think, is sort of the, uh, the capper, Dogs Demystified, an A to Z guide to all things canine. And it really is that. It's an encyclopedia. It's one of those things you pop it open anywhere and it's like, oh, that's interesting. And it's alphabetical, which surprised me. It's not by the category of what he's talking about because he talks about all things about dogs all the time. Mark, this is a quite a remarkable compilation of so much science and so many also philosophical ideas that you have. It's a combination of theory and practice and science and heartfelt ideas you have always had about dogs and that keep evolving. It must feel very gratifying to finally have it between covers. Yeah, it was, um, in all honesty, an enormous task. Um, there were only two or three times when I decided that if my computer blew up, it would be fine. <laughs> but, 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 I, but I also save it to the cloud and all that. But yeah, I mean, I got the idea a couple of years ago and I just started you know, making lists and um, unaided, if you will, just sitting down one night about two, two and a half years ago, I came up with, I think, 300 entries 
<laughs> just um, topics, just uh, like words, like uh, just words, like you know, aggression, dominance, right. play, self recognition, training. Oh my, you know, you you name it: barking, howling, whimpering. Um, you you name it. You know, just words. You know that could serve as um, like the titles of entries. And of course, that got the re- that got revised, and then. In all honesty, I'm not sure how many there are, but, you know, there could be 800. I mean, I, I just don't know my editor and copy editor combined some. I, and I and I had it read, the manuscript read by some dog experts, um, especially in fields that I don't know well, like veterinary medicine. And, you know, I'm, I always say I'm not a dog trainer. Right. So they both, I told them they couldn't add anything. So they were, <laughs> they were, they were most, um, they were really helpful in all, in all honesty. Um of combining some, getting rid of a few, you know, just saying, well, you know, for what you're doing, they're, they're redundant and, and making some corrections, you know, but I was really pleased that the reviewers um, only found one error where I can't remember the entry, but I, I think it was a training entry. And I used the phrase, like, we want to change the behavior of dogs using this. And they said, no, we're really working on changing their emotions. And Interesting. I mean, it is. Yeah, I mean, you know, and somebody I told somebody, they said, well, no matter. And I said, no, 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 it's, it's a big matter changing what an animal is feeling to what the animal does. Of course, they're, they can be related. But but anyway, yeah, it was a it was a lot of work. Um, I look at the early drafts and the early. Um, I print out every now and again a draft so I can because I like to work on a hard copy and and I look at the pile of papers and I'm thinking I need to call it a U-Haul. <laughs> <laughs> yes, or call a stop to it. It's, it's interesting that when I was first doing my, the first book that I did on pregnancy and childbirth, there was nothing like a computer. We all had either portable computers oh, that were manual or maybe electric. And maybe if you were a secretary, because in those days we were called secretaries, right, for our first jobs out yep. of college. You worked on a big yep. IBM Selectric. And I had a shoebox, like an index card shoebox. And mm-hmm. I did just what you did. And it's interesting how the human mind can not necessarily be better than a computer. Forget AI. That's a whole other conversation. But it mm-hmm. really, this book comes from your heart as well as your head is what I feel, Mark. And that's why the fact that you did it with a pen and a paper and made these lists yourself and maybe even tried to put them into categories or alphabetize, which I did with the mm-hmm. shoebox, which I c- carried around, and there was no backup for it. And the book wound up being <laughs> over 800 pages, but who knew? You know, when you're that young, you luckily you don't realize you've taken on a daunting task and your whole life is, I don't, didn't Hemingway accidentally leave the manuscript for I don't know. The sun also rises in a train somewhere and have to rewrite the thing. Something like that. um, Some anecdote like that. But I think what's what's really important about the book really speaks to that very tiny, what sounds like picky, picky comment, which is the difference between behavior and emotion. Because I think the guiding force in your work generally, but particularly in Dogs Demystified, is this constant return that you have to how do dogs feel? What is their experience of their day, of their life, of you? It, it seems to drive a lot of your pa- your continuing passion for a topic you'd think, well, surely Professor Beckoff has taught this for so many years, studied it for so many years, written so many books, reviewed so many books, there'd be nothing more to say. 
I feel as if this is almost a, a reduction of everything down to these very important yeah. issues. Do dogs have agency? Can they make choices? Do we give them enough choices? And you are such a champion for those ideas, which to some people might say, well, what's the difference really? Uh, are you saying give the dog a choice between two different beds? Well, yeah, actually. But you also talk about them giving a choice between whether they want to go on a walk or whether they want to be with a different dog who they may not like. And right. and the fact that their free will is something that you've talked about with a lot of animals. You have this wonderful column in Psychology Today that anyone who doesn't subscribe to it, and I don't think it costs any money, or maybe I'm just lucky. No, it's free. It's free, which is incredible. I mean, you can't read my local town newspaper that has nothing of value in it without paying. You know, and the Psychology Today, which has these brilliant minds, yours being the most brilliant in my book because it's about dogs and other animals. It's a great column, and I and I watch you evolve yourself as you evolve a theory of mind. It sounds pretentious, but you do have a theory of mind about dogs and us. And this book, you can say, well, it's just an encyclopedia, right? It's like reading the Encyclopedia Britannica when we're children. You open it, and there's lots of interesting words that start with L. But in your case, they all refer back to this compassion you have for dogs and for modern dogs. You you seem to really try to get us to think about a world without humans. You and Jessica Beers wrote a brilliant book about that. But was it Elizabeth Holmes who wrote that book decades ago about watching her dogs? She let them roam free at night and what was their life like? Oh, no, Elizabeth Marshall Thomas. Yeah, sorry, Marshall Thomas, yes, yeah, who's been on yeah, the yeah. show, Bad Me. Elizabeth Holmes is yeah. the woman who's doing something else, good or bad. I don't know. But <laughs> but it was an interesting idea that no one had had before, and then you have revived that way of thinking. What would dogs do given choices, given freedom? What is freedom to a dog, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, in all honesty, I wrote the book because I – you know, there were a lot of reasons. One was to dispel myths, like some of the prevailing myths, like dogs are unconditional lovers. Um, right. Dogs right. are our best friends. Uh, dogs don't form dominance relationships. There aren't alpha dogs. Dogs, you know, pee to mark over. You know, they're, when they pee, they are, they're always scent marking. Um, you know, that dogs don't recognize themselves. I mean, the list goes on and on. But But really, the underlying... I suppose the underlying theme was, you know, I want people to be dog literate, fluent in dog. And because it not only helps, you know, when we understand them better by what they're saying or what they're asking of us and we interpret it correctly, you know, it makes for a better dog human relationship. And the two among the different topics, but you've mentioned one is, you know, giving dogs as many freedoms as we can. Jessica Pearson, I wrote a lot about that in yes. Unleashing Your Dog. Yes. And also, so that's agency, giving them choice, listening to what they're telling us, and consent. You know, an agency turns out in the cat world, I mean, in lots of animal worlds, different species, um, agency and consent really are becoming very prominent. Give them all the freedom you can, and then some perhaps, and then Ask them, is this okay? You know, that, you know, the dog, 
I used to, when I lived in the mountains, the dogs' walks in the morning was for them, and they could go up to four miles or four yards. And, I mean, there really, really were days when they would walk out the front door, they'd eat, and they'd run up the driveway knowing we were going on a hike somewhere because right. they lived in the mountains. Or they would go out, eat, and they literally had an outdoor run that was bear-proof and cougar-proof and, you know, coyote and fox-proof. They would eat and go in there and lie down and clearly not want to walk. And people would say, well, maybe they were sick. Yeah, there were probably days where they may have had a bad dream or a bad night's <laughs> sleep. But, the, but, there were, but there were also days where that's what they wanted to do. And, you know, they didn't run around with an iPhone or a clock, but they knew that every morning at around 5 in the morning, they'd have an hour. It's, it was, you know, their time. But, you know, another reason was you know, um, in addition to dispelling the myths, is really clarifying what we know and don't know. And so when I wrote about areas that I know really well, I felt comfortable. And there are a few areas, you know, like people comparing wolves to dogs or right. dogs to wolves. Right. That's and, a big specialty you know, of yours. Yeah. And, you know, the bottom line is it's still a hodgepodge. It doesn't. And, and one of the points I made and, and, Two very respected dog scientists, if you will, were happy to see it. I wasn't criticizing individual studies. I was saying, look, they're studying different dogs in different labs, using different protocols, um, and you know, different experimenters. And but they were all focusing on, say, the general question: How do dogs do X, Y, or Z, and how do wolves do it? But people would say, well, the results are different from every lab. And, well, there's a, there's a common thread among them, but they are different. But they're not different because the science is bad. They're different because I always say there is no universal dog. Yes, exactly. And so you have different researchers, different locations. And I actually have partaken in some of these studies. And once again, you know, the results differ. So I was very careful that we can't say dogs do this or don't do this or can't do this and wolves do and from that, and I really, some, I had an email from somebody yesterday. Um, a lot of people, you know, there, was two, there were two major points. The first is watching a small number of dogs in captivity and drawing conclusions about how domestication happened. Right. And, and, and the other is, you know, once again, ignoring individual variability um, in terms of, among the dogs themselves. So it doesn't mean we don't know anything, but, you know, another line in the book is the more I learn, the more I say, I don't know. And it's not because I'm dumb or, the <laughs> or forgetful. The dumb or forgetful. <laughs> it's more, it's a complicated issue. So we do know certain things about dogs for sure, but there's a lot that we don't know. The other major thing um, is that a lot of people don't realize that only around 25% of the dogs in the world are home dogs. That's and those right. are the dogs who are used in a lot of experiments. But of the billion or so dogs in the world, it means that about 750 million are free-ranging or, or really very independent of humans and, and feral. So once again, what I love is when you can compare what we're learning in the lab and what we're learning say, among free-ranging dogs. There are some similarities, but there's a lot of differences when the dogs are out there 
if you will, pretty much on their own. And you do have Sindor Pangal, who's been on the show a couple of times. You have mm-hmm. quotes from every Tom, Dick, and Harry in the dog world or wishing to be in the dog world, and, and mm-hmm. even a, a foreword by Jane Goodall, who I think is everybody's like heroine, who we think <laughs> of as a chimpanzee lady, but she talks about herself and her and her childhood with dogs and her life with dogs. And the idea of streeties, as Sindor calls them, is something you've mm-hmm. always brought up, that the dogs that are free-ranging – or not unhappy, sure, they might have an, a, a hurt paw or even an infected cut, and maybe they have to scramble to find something to eat from that dumpster or from that puddle. It doesn't mean they're unhappy. How unhappy is a dog that's crated all day? As you say, the introduction's so wonderful. It really puts it in perspective. We all, you know, the Western idea of the dogs are pampered and they're poodle, they're they're pampered and they're, they're poodleized and they're put in crates and they're carried around in backpacks and front packs and strollers. Mm-hmm. And you're really good at saying, is that a great life? And you don't quite, mm-hmm. you don't say it isn't, but you say that's not the only life. There's a whole other life. And even if you have mange and you're walking, you know, in the street with a pack of other dogs, maybe, maybe that's great. Maybe that freedom. Maybe that's like a, you know, a hippie in San Francisco in the sixties, you know, they didn't bathe much, but they were awfully happy. Right, they wouldn't want to be well, in corporate America. No, you're, you're you're you hit the, if you will, the nail on the head. To say that you know a number, a good number of say home dogs are not happy, um, it, it's it's likely true, and it's possible that you know a lot of the streeties in different countries around the world. I mean, I've met them in India, Kenya, Tanzania, China, and you know, some are. Some have good lives and seem to be very happy. Some don't. But, you know, when people say, well, you know, this is an old thing that I dealt with years ago. Well, dogs don't form, you know, packs. Well, they do form packs. And their behavior in packs, and it's not only my work, it's the work of a whole lot of people studying free-ranging dogs, Mm -hmm. shows they do form packs. There are alpha dogs. There are dominant dogs, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things, you know, I learned early on when I got into this, when I was getting some pretty nasty emails from people who said, well, dogs don't form dominance relationships. And one guy went as far to say that dominance is a human construct among all animals. And I thought, oh, well, Lordy. well, you know, I'm an ethologist. I've studied animals in the field. But, you know, the practical aspects, and I try to draw practical as, um say practical on the ground implications from this book is that, you know, they do form dominance relationships. There are alpha dogs, but that doesn't mean that we have to be alpha humans who dominate the dogs using force, forceful methods, if you will, to, to train them or teach them what we want to do. And, um, and I'm happy about that. And, and, and it's, you know, like you started, you know, it was, hard to put it together in terms of what went where so yes my, my copy editor who knows dogs but you know doesn't know them like like i know dogs if you will but knows dogs it's really wonderful to see how people who know dogs would have categorized some of the entries exactly but once again I, I, yeah i'm getting emails from people really today i had one saying wow what a great book i needed to know about biting and barking so I went to the bees and now I can just I you know they flip through it but when they find they have a particular question exactly 
more likely than not, they will find it. Exactly. We've <laughs> yeah. run out of time, Mark, but that's exactly the beauty of the book. And when you do find under B, the thing you're looking for, it also tells you to look at the three other things that are related. So it's a, it's a chain of information and advice and knowledge. Dogs Demystified, an A to Z guide to all things canine. Mark Bakoff, you again have stood up for dogs in such wonderful ways. Thank you for this book and your lifetime of work. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And thank you to your audience. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human-edible, ethically-sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative Dog Chew No Hide and the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky blue Weimarano Maisie will eat. <laughs>